The Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by WinBet. Bet $10 at WinBet and get $200 in free bets. Bet big, win bigger with WinBet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. We're also brought to you by Cause Light. Get mountain cold refreshment delivered straight to your door via Drizzly or Instacart by going to causelight.com slash SGP. That's causelight.com slash SGP. Also brought to you by PropSwap, America's marketplace to buy and sell sports bets. Use promo code SGP on your first deposit to receive up to $500 in bonus cash. Head over to PropSwap.com or download the PropSwap app. We're also brought to you by Stable Jewel. Stable Jewel is a horse racing DFS app where you can play free or paid games for real cash prizes. You can win as much as $40,000 with one entry. Head over to StableJewel.com to get started today. And of course, make sure to download the SGPN app, your home for all of our free picks and all of our free podcasts. He 
really is. Conte mounts, set up James on his left foot. Oh, so close. He knew exactly what he was trying to do. There wasn't quite enough bend on it. He sits outside that pose with his left foot. Would have been fitting for him tonight. He's been excellent. You are listening to. Bet MUFC here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow the Bet MUFC Twitter account at Bet MUFC. That's at Bet MUFC. You can follow the Soccer Gambling Podcast at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. Also follow the Twitter account for LockBetting.com. It's LockBetting.com without a dot. So it's at LockBetting.com. That's at LockBetting.com. That is my premium pay service that has delivered you 107 months in a row of transparent track profit and... If we can make a profit this month, that'll be month number 108. And that is significant because 108 months in a row means we have gone nine years without a single losing month in sports betting. So get involved over at lockbetting.com. The month of May is going to be an epic month. We are hitting the peak of the tennis season as we have the French Open and Wimbledon coming up. We are hitting the end of the NBA season as we are well into the playoffs. We are hitting the end of the soccer season. We have domestic soccer leagues finishing and of course the Europa League and the Champions League and Europa Conference League as well along with boxing cards and UFC cards and a WWE pay-per-view this month as well. So loads coming up. Really, really good month to sign up. Month number 108 as we look to get that nine years of straight profit, nine years undefeated, not a single losing month in that time over at lockbetting.com and you can come on board with the journey. If you want to do your research beforehand, I recommend you do do that. Head over to the Twitter account at lockbetting.com. Look at the pinned tweet. That will be the PL for the month of March to be replaced by the month of April in the next 24 hours. Look at those spreadsheets. Make sure that the bets are all right for you. Look at the stakes. Look at the type of bets we do. Make sure you can find the props. Make sure you can find the soccer bets. If you can't find everything, make sure you can find the majority of the stuff. And if you can, make sure the stakes are right for you. I think the stakes are fine. We make it for every man. Anybody that can afford to gamble, I think you can afford to be a part of the service. There's no five-star plays, 10-unit mega plays, uh, 20-unit whales. None of that crap. None of that there. All realistic, sensible staking that you'll see in the spreadsheets. And at the bottom, you'll see all of the P&L verified by the comments because underneath every single post, Every single client can comment and they can verify everything that's on the site. If you want to see the previous PLs, go and have a look at them by using the tags at the bottom. You'll see little tags that say things like football, tennis, NBA, etc. One of the tags says PL. By clicking the PL tag at the bottom of the spreadsheet, that will give you access to all of the other lock betting PLs from the past. Moving on with this edition of Bet MUFC. Not really too much that we can say, not really too much that we can add to this. Um, I was going to run through the United squad player by player, but um, this show's coming out fairly late. I think there'll be there'll be a lot more time to do that next time. This is a really, really busy week. Looking ahead, there's an edition of the Fight Show looking at the future of Tyson Fury. And of course, we have to drop that um, Europa League and Champions League combined show looking at those semi-finals second leg. So it's really, really tight squeeze 
and getting this show out. I'm going to quickly gloss over the Chelsea game before I quickly gloss over the Brentford game that's coming up and then look at the future of Cristiano Ronaldo instead of looking at the player-for-player comparison in terms of who will stay and who fits into Ten Hag's system, etc. We'll delay that for one more podcast because the feeling at the moment is very much that Cristiano Ronaldo will be going. And you heard it on the commentary there. Ronaldo was the saviour once again against Chelsea. Had Ronaldo not been at Man United this season, if you take his goals away, and that's what a lot of people are saying, they're, they're using this theory of take Ronaldo's goals away and Manchester United will be a bottom half team. But obviously, the the more realistic footballing theory is that somebody else may have scored those goals and perhaps without Ronaldo there, there would have been less of a disruption because if you look at these, the signing of Ronaldo, we have seen Manchester United move from uh, second place in the Premier League to what's likely to be a sixth place finish. Now, Ronaldo can't be held wholly responsible for that. I mean, the guy has done his part. He's come in, he's scored 23 goals this season. And as we're doing this podcast, he's the third top scorer in the Premier League. Just um, five goals behind Mo Salah and was just taken over by Hume Ming Song yesterday. So I don't know what what the situation is with Ronaldo. I don't know how you really look at it as whether he's been a positive or a negative. In fact, as far as his own personal achievements go, I mean, he's got a couple of hat-tricks. Um, he, as I said, he's got 23 goals a season. You can't look at Ronaldo and, see, and say that he's had a bad season. In fact, alongside... David De Gea, he's really one of the only two contenders for the, the the player of the season for Manchester United this season, given what he's done. So it's just a case of how it's rubbed off on the other players. Is Ronaldo responsible for the lack of development with Mason Greenwood? Obviously, he's not responsible for what, what Mason Greenwood did in his personal life, but Obviously, we've seen a dip in Greenwood. We've seen a significant dip with Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford, at this point, doesn't even look like a professional footballer. But how much of that do you put on Cristiano Ronaldo? And um, what is Tarek, Eric Ten Hag going to do? Does he want the fresh start? Or does he want to keep a player that scored 23 goals? And counting as well, because we still have three games left, including this Brentford game that we'll get to in a minute. Looking back at this Chelsea game, this was a game where, once again, as outlined by the commentary and as outlined by the audio I'm going to put in in a second, um, this was a game where Man United should have lost comfortably. It was a case of Chelsea not taking their chances. Again, we weren't running. Again, it was difficult to see what Manchester United were doing. Yet, due to Chelsea's lack of finishing, there was a chance for Manchester United to win the game at the end. So, I think that would have been a very, very deceiving result had Manchester United picked up three points here. I mean, this game against Brentford now in itself becomes important. If we look at the game against Brentford, it's important because Man United do need to be in the Europa League. I I would prefer us to not be in Europe at all, but Wolves' form coming from, from eighth place has really fallen off a cliff. So... Man United have almost been allowed free access into Europe. But what we don't want to be playing in is the Europa Conference League. Now, some people will look at that and think, well, that's the easier one to win. And Manchester United desperately need a trophy. Well, Spurs desperately need a trophy. And they decided not to play in the Europa Conference League. The Europa Conference League, despite the fact that both of the competitions are played on Thursday... 
is a more brutal competition. I think it will be more brutal for Manchester United. And the rewards are, are not rewarding at all. You'd expect Man United to improve enough to get into a Europa League position next season anyway. So we don't want to win the Europa Conference League and get a Europa League spot. I don't think that's something that interests Manchester United at all. Being in the Europa League and winning that and winning a trophy and breaking that bad run without trophies for a while alongside getting through the Champions League via winning that trophy, that I think definitely does appeal to, to Manchester United. So it's far more better to be in that. And then obviously there's a brutal side of it where when you go into the Europa League, you're going to more places like Ukraine, Russia, Slovakia, Finland, all of these more brutal trips. Whereas if you're playing in the Europa League, you are playing a little bit closer to home. You're coming back from the likes of France, Spain, Germany, etc., which is a little bit easier on Manchester United rather than taking these ridiculous trips where we may come back on, on Friday afternoon. We'll only be able to get one training session in on Saturday before we go play the game on Sunday. And that's depending whether we're home or away as well. So it's very, very disruptive, I think, to be in the Europa Conference League. We want no part of that, which is why I think we want to secure sixth place over seventh and completely eliminate any possibility of West Ham finishing above us. But they're actually doing that for us themselves at the moment with their results. They didn't win again yesterday. They lost to Arsenal. So essentially, if Manchester United do win this game against Brentford today, then Manchester United will pretty much secure themselves in the top six. And sixth place, I think, looks like where we are going to finish. Man United are the favourites to win the game today, but it's not significant at all. Man United are only the four to five favourites to win this game at home to Brentford, which kind of tells you where Manchester United are at the moment. It's three to one on the draw and it's four to one here on Brentford. I think this is a game that Man United will win. They owe it to their supporters. I think this will be um, a game where Ronaldo will, will get himself on the score sheet as well. And it could ultimately be the final time that Cristiano Ronaldo ever plays at Old Trafford. So I do think that he'll find his way onto the score sheet. The data even tells you that Ronaldo scored 18 goals across 18 meetings with promoted sides in the Premier League. And he struck also in his last two games. But I think the safest bet here in this game, even safer than Man United at 4-5, to five, even though that is a decent price, is to continue riding both teams to score. United have conceded in nine straight matches coming into this. Brentford have conceded in their last 14 away games. And Brentford have seen both teams score in each of their last five away trips. So that's how I'm going to play this selection. If you take the combination of Man United and both teams to score, you can get this at around uh, 2 to 1 plus 200. But ultimately, I don't like relying on Manchester United to win, even though I do think this is a game that they will win. Um, I'm just going to be happier taking both teams to score here because I have no faith in this defence keeping a clean sheet. And I think this will be the 10th game in a row that they do concede. Closing out here and looking at the updated uh, updated situation here with Eric Ten Hag, we're going to listen to um, the voices of Keane and Neville as they look at the, the possible transition of Eric Ten Hag to Manchester United and what was most interesting and most concerning here from their assessment was the fact that they analysed that this transition from uh, Ragnick to Ten Hag could potentially be a brutal one. So have a listen to this. Think. I think it's a good appointment. Um, there's been a lot of speculation. I think it's been the cards the last few months. I think the club would be glad just to get the deal done. He can now start looking at the club and start working in the background. Obviously, officially, doesn't come on board for another month or two. 
Um, he's got a solid CV. Uh, he's got a very good reputation. But I suppose the proof's in the pudding. We'll know better when he's into the job and he gets the backing, the support, and hopefully give him a little bit of power to get Man United back competing at the, at the top. Right now, that seems like a long way off. It, it feels like a huge job that he's got on his hands. How does he have some early wins, do you think? Well, uh, I think, again, we'll go back to it. You, you look at this United team and what he'll be looking at is you've got to try and get a group of players or the players on side that will give everything for the cause, that will be hard to beat and will hopefully have a side of play that brings, you know, gets, entertains the fans and get back United to winning. But it's, as we know, it's, we'll use the word, it's a rebuilding job. He's fortunate, I think, coming into summer, there's five or six big players who are on big contracts who are obviously already leaving. I think that will help. And I think every Man United manager always did. They do get back in. He will get some, some, some money to spend. But it's getting, again, the right players, the right characters into the club because what we've seen the last few months just hasn't been good enough from this group of players. They don't look... We talk about giving everything for the cause. These players don't do that. We've been trying to ask the question, what are they actually getting in Eric Ten Hag? Jamie, we've done some digging around numbers in the Champions League this season, which Ajax and Manchester United were both competing. And Ajax under Eric Ten Hag topped their group, but went out uh, in the last 16 to Benfica. But while they were involved, they were doing very nicely, um, averaging the second most goals per game, the most touches in the opposition box. Only Liverpool and Bayern Munich enjoyed more possession uh, this season. Only Liverpool won more possession in the final third. You can see how high they are in terms of shots for high turnovers. They like to win the ball high up the pitch. He likes crossing teams as well. They're third on that list. And also you see as well, he likes his, his defenders involved in attacks. Only Liverpool, again, higher in those bottom two categories, which both tell us a little bit about the kind of style we might expect in contrast to what we're seeing from Manchester United. Yeah, don't look at the right-hand column for sure. But if you looked at what I, he's done at Ajax, he's, uh, he's done a good job in the Dutch model. They play out from the back, and I think that will obviously be... Uh, will work with what modern teams try to do. High pressing, lots of possession. There'll be a, you know, an exciting team on paper. But it doesn't matter. He's got to get the recruitment right here. Because I can't imagine now... Um, Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola all of a sudden frightened because Ten Hag's coming. It will be more the recruitment, the players. That's when we'll learn what Manchester United are doing in the future because it, there's every chance it could get worse before it gets better. That's, that could also happen. Now he's going to need backing. He's going to need a lot of support. The fans are going to have to get behind him. But what they've got is a manager in place because they've been messing around for a few years now. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was a temporary manager. Gave him the job, but sort of gave him the job. Ranić's been in here now. He's got a massive job to do because he's he now will be going back to the manager and saying, he's a good lad. Yeah, you want him with you. He's not the sort of guy you want in, 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 you know, in the trenches with you. And the Royal, Royal will know that as well. You need to know the good players and the good people that are going to be here for the future to get Manchester United back. Back to where they were. Let's bring Gary Neville into this conversation. Gary, a few clues then around style. What else is important, do you think? Character, leadership? Yeah, obviously. Um, not going to be able to do that, I think, in one transfer window. I mean, if you look at those stats, you, and you were one of the Manchester United players in the dressing room, you'd be a little bit worried because, you know, Ralph Ranier came here as a pressing guru, and he's not been able to get anything out of them on that front. In fact, he's referred to their lack of physicality I don't know how many times in his interviews in the last few weeks so if Eric Ten Hag is going to be really brutal like Jurgen Klopp was when he first went into Liverpool and got rid of Benteke or when Joe Hart was let go by Pep Guardiola 
he's going to be letting a lot of this lot go because they can't press high up the pitch. They haven't got the physicality. Um, they don't want to win the ball back early. They don't chase down and hunt together. Now, you could point towards a coaching thing, but that's not happened under Ole. It's not happened now under someone who's been renowned for playing that type of system um, throughout his sort of coaching career and his other roles. So I think there's going to be a massive, massive change. And obviously five or six of them are going anyway because they're out of contract. But I can see probably even more being let go and a, a real brutal sort of, if you like, transition. Ca character and personality... <laughs> I know it's used a, a word that's used a lot by us all, um, and I think we're going to be sort of probably more specific about what we mean of that. You know, when you see sort of character and personality at Manchester City, there are players who, you know, they're not warriors, as in sort of, you know, they're not wandering around having stitches in the head, but they've got fantastic personalities and characters, you know, the likes of Foden, the likes of the, bra the bravery of De Bruyne to always take the ball, the bravery of the goalkeeper to always take the ball and sort of be courageous and set the attacks off. They've all got a personality and a character, even though they're not shouters and screamers and, and things like that. And I think the way in which Eric Ten Hag will want sort of personality and character is that they have players with authority on the ball who can go to Anfield like the Manchester United team didn't last week, take the ball under pressure, make sure they handle that Anfield crowd, not necessarily sort of coming and start organising and shouting and, and balling and asking for sort of demands from people. Just the basics, really, of a good football team nowadays, which is different than what we sort of, if you like, had in our team, which is, you know, good football players, but we also had big, dominant personalities. I don't think they exist too much anymore. We're obviously watching Gary as well, a, a relentless title uh, race between Manchester City and Liverpool and you've seen the news that Jurgen Klopp's staying for even longer. Um, I, I think you've said yourself that a title challenge for Manchester United feels like a, a long way off. So what should be the short-term targets for Eric Ten Hag? Yeah, I think in the first couple of seasons to re-establish Champions League football, to strengthen the hand in the transfer market, improve obviously the finances at the club through that as well, um, is a priority. And then obviously if they can get a trophy, this team, because obviously this team haven't won a trophy for a few years now. So if they can get a cup competition and pay attention in the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, which has not always happened, that would, I think, be the priority in the first two seasons. And then in sort of year three and four, they've got to start getting closer to the title. But I said it was going to be four or five years Four or five years wasn't just a guess. It was based on the amount of recruitment that Ten Hag will have to do to get the style of play and the transition that's going to happen this summer. Him to get his feet under the table and sort of build something, but also just the excellence of the other two or three teams that are up there at this moment in time. And if Klopp's going to be around for four years and Pep Guardiola's going to be around for two or three years, that's going to be an incredibly difficult job for those players there. So an interesting assessment there. But as I said on the last show, if it doesn't work... It's another manager coming in. It's all good and well having those players out of contract. Some of them have been referred to as a cancer. Paul Pogba has been referred to as a cancer. We want to get Jesse Lingard out of the club. He doesn't really suit a, a winning culture. He seems to be a part of the problem. They're dancing around, uh, being on his social media, appearing not to care about that when the club lose. There's also leaks, leaks coming out, players who are leaking information to the media to protect themselves. So... We want to get a lot of these players out. That's fine. But what if we get players in under Eric Ten Hag and they don't work? And then we've got a whole new bunch of players under contract who fit the philosophy of a manager who once again failed. And then we are on to another manager in two or three years time who's trying to manage Eric Ten Hag's players 
and then also wants to bring in his own players with another set of fresh ideas. Because Oli's project was very, very different to Mourinho's project, and he was supposed to get a lot more time. And obviously, when you look at what he bought in in the summer with uh, Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo, and the results that he delivered, it was almost inevitable that he was going to get sacked. So who was really the biggest problem with, with who came in? Were we just massively lucky last year catching a lot of teams in transition? Or... Did we bring in people that was a problem? Is Ronaldo the problem? Did Ronaldo get Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sacked? Not in terms of how he played, but in terms of what it did to the dressing room. I think it's ridiculous to say Ronaldo does anything but good in the dressing room in terms of being a role model, in terms of looking at how he eats and how he acts and, and how he looks and how he performs at his age. That should be an example to players. Players should want to be how Ronaldo is at 37 years old, have that kind of longevity, have that kind of relevancy and impact at the age of 37. But you just don't know with these with these players, with these footballers these days that are given so much money and so many privileges at such a young age, there is an element of them being spoiled and there is an element of managers having to manage around them in order to get the best out of them whilst rubbing their fragile egos. So unless you have a manager who can man manage those situations and, and, and deal with the modern day player, which is where I think Mourinho has has dropped. I don't think it's a case of his coaching, coaching methods no longer work. I think people say, oh, the game's moved on from parking the bus and whatnot. Well, it hasn't because throughout the season, we've seen Manchester United as a team being shut down by teams that park the bus and with us having significant difficulty in breaking them down. So that, that style of play in terms of setting up defensively and trying to um, make it difficult for teams to play, that's never going to go out of the game. That that Mourinho side of things where you have you have an inferior squad where you, you don't have the um, the passing and the shooting and the, and the footballing capabilities of an opponent that plays more fluid attack and football, then you have to try and negate that in some way. And that's always going to exist in football. So to say that Mourinho stylistically is dated isn't correct. But perhaps in one area where he is dated as a manager could be the way that he man-manages the, the modern-day player. He's, his man-management of the likes of Luke Shaw, Romelu Lukaku and Paul Pogba was poor. And uh, that's why he ended up being being out the door. He ended up uh, attacking his players and going to war with too many players where in the end it was easier to get rid of the manager. Probably similar to what happened at Spurs. So we, we need Eric Ten Hag to come in and, and be able to man manage his players. And I think that, again, brings us back round to the Cristiano Ronaldo situation. For me, gun to my head, if I was to say if he was staying or going and it was a gun to my head and my life was on the line right now, I think we're going to see Cristiano Ronaldo play his last game for, for Manchester United or the last game at Old Trafford today. And his last game for Manchester United will be away to Crystal Palace. I don't think that he'll be there next season. He can fit in with Terry, Ten, Eric Ten, uh, Eric Ten Hag's plans as long as he is happy to be a part of a rotation. I don't think... I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo is, is happy to rotate with anybody. And at the same time, I don't think Eric Ten Hag is going to be guaranteeing a 37-year-old first-team football and certainly won't be uh, building a team around him. So that is the, the situation, in my opinion. I believe that we are seeing the end of Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United. I don't know where he's going to go and I don't know how we're going to replace him. We are essentially taking 23 goals out of the team and obviously as I said that philosophy where 
if Man United didn't have ten, uh, didn't have Ronaldo, we'd be in the bottom half. That doesn't really work for me. That's a very, very, um, that's a very social media esque way of looking at things. It, it looks great for a meme. It looks great for a little Instagram post or whatnot. But in reality, that isn't essentially two. Those twenty three goals would have been scored most likely with by other players. Not all of them. But there's no doubt that it has disrupted some of the chemistry in the team and certainly has disrupted the development of players. Um, The Marcus Rashford situation in particular, as I said earlier, this looks like a player who's not even a footballer at the moment. When you look at his ball control, his his skills, his his shooting, his passing, everything about him, he doesn't look like a footballer. He doesn't even look like he, he runs like a footballer. So it certainly has had an issue. And even when you look at egos at the club, there's no doubt in my mind that it has had an effect on, on Bruno Fernandes, who was used to being the main man at Manchester United. And he's certainly not that. And he's had the worst dip in form that he's had since he's come to the club, to the point where... Even I've been looking at Bruno, I've been wondering why he's continued to start when not only has he made such little impact on the team, but he's actually been a disruption. He's not been running around. It's like having uh, half a player less out there. Um, He missed that key penalty against Arsenal. He missed a penalty earlier on in the season against Aston Villa. They're points that we actually needed, points where we could have still been competing for the Champions League. He's missed a plethora of chances. He missed chances that resulted in our exit from the from the FA Cup earlier on in the season as well. So there, there's a lot to there's a lot to look at here in terms of the effect that Ronaldo had psychologically on on a lot of the players, and it isn't nothing to do with how Cristiano played and does he press or doesn't he press and does he run or doesn't he run or does he take all his chances and whatnot. No, Ronaldo's still a world-class player. Ronaldo will go somewhere else next season and he'll still score 25 goals. I'm sure he'll get to 25 goals this season. I'm sure he'll score today. And um, if he scores one goal today, it'll be one short and he'll need a goal in the next two games to hit that 25 mark, which I think he will before the end of the season. So, it's all going to be very, very interesting. It's all very, very fluid. I think we see things leaked out all of the time. There's no doubt that Eric Ten Hag will be working behind the scenes and will be evolving towards the Eric Ten Hag team sooner than sooner rather than later. And uh, plans will be in place where hopefully whatever he is going to do, Manchester United start doing their business in July, as early as July. We don't leave it till August or, or, or even the last transfer window in September. If, if we know what we're doing and there is a plan, I want to see us implementing that plan, whether it be with or without Ronaldo or with or without anybody, even if we're going to change the goalkeeper, even if we need a goalkeeper who's going to be able to play at his feet and we get rid of our two best players this season in De Gea and Ronaldo. If we're doing that, do it early, do our business in July and August. Don't be trying to sign players at the end of the transfer window. That's it for me in this edition of Bet MUFC. Good luck with all your bets as always, and thanks for listening.